Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, author Corby Shuey is here to push back the tide of fear that's all around us, and Josh Davis will share a moment of prophecy. Each year, Southwest Radio Ministries creates a unique calendar from differing parts of the world. This year's calendar's theme is Unseen Israel. This 16-month calendar features beautiful photographs that reveal sites that are not often visited by tour groups or focus on views that are not often seen in pamphlets or pointed out by tour guides. These locations are important in understanding the history and culture of ancient Israel. Order your Unseen Israel calendar today, 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. We also partner with each of you who purchase a calendar to encourage prisoners in our Onesimus prison ministry. For every calendar you order, a calendar will be given to a prisoner free of charge. Order your calendar and encourage a prisoner. Calendars are ready to ship today. Order yours when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Friends, we live in trying times. As we survey the landscape of our world, we can feel a sense of foreboding writhing within the depths of the heart. These heavy feelings are perpetuated by the external voices of the media and culture that are attempting to drown out the voices of hope. But... Those who know Jesus as Savior can stand in His authority to push back the tide of fear. We can stand for valor. Here's our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, with today's guest to help us stand. Fear is a powerful motivator. Rahm Emanuel said, Never pass up a good crisis. It gives you opportunities to do what you could not do in the absence of fear. No doubt, friends, we're living in trying times, times of great uncertainty and great fear. How can born-again believers rise above fear? How can we proclaim a gospel of hope in a world that appears so hopeless? Our guest today is Corby Shuey. He is pastor and he is also an author. We're offering his book, For Valor, Defending the Faith for Those of Worth. Thank you, Pastor Corby, for being on the show with us. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. I'm Blessed and honored to, to be able to spend this time with you. Well, any, any book that's uh, published by Defender and Tom Horn and all those great friends up there in Missouri has got to be a good book. So I'm, I'm sure you've done a, done a great job. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm amazed at how our modern society is being influenced by people and by pagan deities. Uh, tell our listeners how the Aztec god Quetzalcoatl retains a degree of influence on contemporary society. Well, t- to answer that question, I'm going to start by kind of describing the book just a little bit. Okay. My book is, the, the book is divided into three parts. The first part deals with what I call uh, deconstructionism. The right. second part deals with the Word of God and, and His instructions toward His people uh, in regard to the difficulties and the, and the, and the trials that we're going to face in this life. Uh, and then the last part is really our response. You know, how do we respond as people of faith uh, to God as He gives us these instructions, as He encourages us in His Word? How do we respond in light of what's happening around us, in light of the chaos that we see in the world around us? What is our response? Uh, so going back to, to answer the question directly, 
as I put this work together, like I said, I was, I was researching the concept of deconstructionism. And one of the topics that I, that I cover is what I refer to as the deconstruction of knowledge. And I have a teaching background. Uh, before the Lord called me into the ministry, I was a, I was a teacher. Uh-huh. So I have a bit of a vested interest in education. And I was reading some journals put out from the university level talking about the direction of education and how we should strive to educate uh, our students who are right. struggling to learn. And as I read some of these journals and, and these, these uh, publications put out at the university level, I began to see language that connected back to Aztec and, and Mayan pagan religion. And this, this god, Quetzalcoatl, easier to read, a lot harder to say that word, <laughs> but this god um, was being talked about and, and how to worship and how to honor and mm-hmm. how, to, how to venerate this god was being discussed in literature that was being written toward education, and it, and it began to spark my interest that, why is this coming up? Where is this coming wow. from? And then as, as I was doing research, I, I came across a poem titled Pensamiento Serpentino. Mm. It's a Spanish phrase that translates serpentine thought. And in this poem, the author is using that same language that was coming up in these, in these uh, educational journals uh, regarding this God and regarding the, the veneration of this God and, and calling for this God to return and and calling for a rebirth of this God, because mm. in the rebirth of this God, there will be a golden age. There will be peace on earth. And, and all of these things that we can look at from a biblical perspective, pointing to the end times, pointing to the rise of the Antichrist and those promises that he is going to bring about. And it just was, it was startling to me that education and, 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 and people that are professors and, and at, the, at the leading edge of the direction that we are moving our country in and, and our world in, they're using this language that is in, that is in praise and in worship of these false gods right, to promote right. the direction that we're going in uh, as far as education is concerned. Well, I, I think that's a really uh, profound observation because it's obvious our public education has really been dragging yeah. our country down. And right. it's, it's very pagan. I mean, there's so many yeah. things, and I'm glad you've seen this connection just by reading. You've done a lot yeah. of research, and I think it's so important. And I know we have some good people in public schools, but the yeah. curriculum and the state teachers' colleges, uh, the professors, mm-hmm. they're all left-wing, thoroughly right. pagan. They have no concept of Christian theism. In fact, they hate it. So I, I think you've done a marvelous, marvelous job. T- tell us a little bit about your, your background and training, and I think very highly of Dr. Lake. I know you work with him. Tell, tell us a little bit about Dr. Lake. Sure. Uh, well, Dr. Lake has, has been a great blessing, a great encouragement. As, as I said, I was uh, in, in, in education prior to the Lord calling me into the ministry, right. and uh, I contacted Dr. Lake many years ago, and, and I expressed my, my desire to be trained up in, in the ministry to, to serve as a pastor, um, he, he was very, very supportive and encouraging. Um, and as I transitioned from education into the ministry, my family went through some very difficult times. Mm. Uh, and Dr. Lake and, and others related to Dr. Lake, some of my other professors that, that, I, that I study under through Biblical Life were, were, right. were great helps and great encouragement during that time. 
So it was a, it was a, it was a learning moment. It was a, a period in my life when God and I, and I give God all credit. I give him all glory in this. Amen. It was a period in time when, when God was allowing me and my family to go through something, and very clearly he was asking me, are you going to give up? Are, are you going to quit? Uh, I'm calling you into the ministry, and, and this, this, this calling is going to require dedication and, and resilience from you and from your family. So very clearly, as I look back at, at those moments in my life, it, it's, it's to God's glory that he helped us, my family included, to get through these things. Right. Because it's, it's built perseverance in, in my character, and, and I, thank, I thank God, and I give him glory to it, uh, for it. I thank Dr. Lake for his encouragement. I thank Guy Watch and Dr. Horn for, for their right. encouragement in, in picking up my book. Uh, it's, it's for God's glory, and his glory alone. I, I seek out no, no name recognition at all. It's all about him, and Amen. I give him all praise for it. Amen. Well, Dr. Lake has been on our program several times, and I got to meet him up in Crane, Missouri, with uh, Dr. Tom Horn. So you guys are, you're running with, with the good guys, and that, that often says a lot. But, but, you know, Jesus said, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He is a liar and the father of it. Now, yeah. tell us about the lullabies from the father of lies. Okay, that is actually a title of a section that I have in the book, The Lullabies from the Father of Lies. And in that section, I specifically deal with this concept of deconstructionism. And I picked out just four aspects of what I would consider to fall into that, into that ideology. We could probably name quite a few that will kind of fall under what I'm going to talk about in just a moment. But I just, I just decided to write on four of them. I wrote on, as I mentioned earlier, the deconstruction of knowledge. I talk about the deconstruction of biology. I talk about the deconstruction of identity. And I also talk about the deconstruction of truth. And we can see that this ideology of deconstructionism is permeated through our culture. Uh, this, this ideology of deconstructionism is very closely related to the philosophy of critical theory, where all institutions, all, all systems of order, traditions, standards of moral belief, of, uh, behavior, uh, ethical thought, all of these things are, are thrown into the, the, the barrel in regard to systematic oppression. So deconstructionism, and, and we can see that driving our culture today, is this ide- ideology that all of these things that we have claimed to be true in the past, or, or these institutions that we claim to be foundational for how we think and how we behave, are systematically oppressive. So therefore, we have to destroy them. We have to take them apart. We have to systematically dismantle them, deconstruct them, so that we can build back better. Mm. Have you heard that phrase in the past? <laughs> right. so we can, Several we times. We can build back better. <laughs> build back better. A better system. A better, a better way. A better, a better ideology that's not oppressive in, in its design. So that is where this, this idea of deconstructionism comes from. It, it's born from critical theory. And we can very clearly see how this, this philosophy is taking root in our culture, right. causing the culture to, to want to dismantle tradition. Well, friends, our guest for this program and the next is Pastor Corby Shuey. We're offering his book, For Valor, Defending the Faith for Those of Worth. For Valor serves as a clarion call for God's people to stand in defense of the faith. Call our operator for your own own copy of the book for Valor, 1-800-652-1144.
And I do want to uh, really encourage you to, to get this book because there are so many things going on now in our country. A lot of people think we're moving so fast they don't know what's happening, and in a sense that's true, but our guest, and in this book, he puts his finger on things like critical theory and deconstructionism, and that's exactly what's going on. This will give you a great deal of insight how to stand strong, how to help your friends, your family, your church, your Sunday school stand strong. So the title of the book, For Valor, 1-800-652-1144. Now, dear brother, one point of focus in regard to the uh, lullabies from the father of lies is the ideology of deconstructionism. You spoke a little bit about that, but give us some more detail. What is this uh, deconstructionism, and how does it work? How does it affect us? As I said, deconstructionism is, is really the push of our culture. It's really the, the focus of the culture if we look at how things have been taking shape. And deconstructionism seeks to dismantle established patterns of thought, it seeks to dismantle established patterns of behavior. Uh, it seeks to dismantle things that we've held on to as foundational, not only for our culture, uh, but for the church and for the world at large. Uh, so we can very clearly see that this, that this push is a secular push that's, that's backed by the devil himself, uh, causing us to want to deconstruct just tradition, morality, because we want right. to build back a better system that is, that is based more on moral relativism, where, where truth is relative to the self, where, where the individual is, 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 is elevated, and, and, and standards of, of truth that are outside of the self are, are deemed as oppressive, because the self... The individual wants to determine truth for the self. Right, right. Well, tell us this. Uh, how is deconstructionism and critical theory related? Because they're very obvious today. Yeah, they are, yes. And I do, I do deal with critical theory in the book. I, I talk about the history, its, its foundation, its purpose, the direction that, it's kind of, that, that has caused us to move in. Uh, a core tenet of critical theory is the institution of, of that, 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 that a core tenet, excuse me, a core tenet of critical theory is that institutions are oppressive by design. That, that things that we see that have uh, formed and, and shaped our culture and our country, they are designed to be oppressive, to, to limit free speech. I shouldn't even say free speech, to, free, to limit free thought, right. uh, to limit uh, the, the expression of the individual, to limit my desires to express myself as a person, as I want to express myself. Uh, so these things are, are, are seen as oppressive. They're perceived as oppressive. They're, they're perceived as oppressive systems that, that, are, that are designed to push us in a certain way or to, to limit uh, self-expression. And, and I can see a, a result in that, uh, that, that this, this, is, uh, this idea of critical theory is, is informing how we perceive reality. Right. Uh, we can clearly see that in our, in our society. And when we look at, you know, a few years ago, we would have people... That were maybe that would help that would hold to an, an atheistic viewpoint, and they would say, "Well, I deny God. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe that the Bible has any relevancy for myself." Uh, but there will be somewhat of a mutual tolerance there, where an atheist would say, "Okay, I'll believe what I believe. Just just leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone." Kind of thing. <laughs> we we see that in our in our culture that that idea is is shifting to not being able to mutually tolerate opposing ideas. Right. We're moving in, in our secular world to a place of anti-God attitude, where we, we have to be anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-religion, because these things 
the church, anti-church, because these things are seen secularly from, from a secular culture as points of oppression, and they're, they're seen right. as mechanisms that have been designed to systematically oppress the individual in that individual's desire to express themselves how they want to express themselves. Uh, so we're really shifting um, culturally to, to being a culture that's not, that doesn't want anything to do with God, and as long as you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone to... We're shifting to a, to, to a culture where they're very anti-God in their speech. They're very right. anti-God in regard to the Church because those institutions are seen as oppressive. And all of this springs from critical theory and, and the idea of deconstructionism. I'm amazed because uh, when we think of what's going on today, the other side are extremely aggressive. I mean, like... You're right. Well, we see looting <laughs> and theft, and, and those things are called reparations. Uh, we see open and accepted drug use, and, mm. and we see chaos taking place in, in, instead of order. We see uh, good being called evil and evil being called good. We see the, the deconstruction of, of marriage. We see the deconstruction of the individual. We see right. an elevation of uh, the self and the elevation of the self and, and a perpetuation of the, of the worship of the, of the word I. I am my own God. I am my own authority. Everything in, a, in our society, in our world that seeks to oppress the exaltation of the word I is an attack on my identity. And really, that's the, the root cause of some of the aggression, of the aggression right. and the aggressiveness that you spoke of, uh, Pastor Larry, in regard to some of these communities and, and these, these you know, movements that are, that are driven by woke ideology. It's that if we take a stand against it, there's no more mutual tolerance. Right. A stand against anything from that woke perspective is an affront to their very identity, and that's why they have to they have to strike back with such venomous and vehement right. uh, aggression because it's a, it's an affront to who they are because they don't have a foundation to stand on. Right? They're they're clamoring for a foundation. They're clamoring for an identity. They're clamoring for something to stand on, stand upon. That's why they have to defend themselves so violently. Right. We have the opportunity as people of God, as, as believers in our Savior Jesus Christ, as those who stand upon the Word of God to be founded on a, an unchanging truth, an infallible truth, a truth that is unchanging, and that is the Word of God. So that is our identity, and that's, from where, that's the, the person that we grow from. Uh, that's why there's such a, a, a divide in our culture and in our world right now. Well, Pastor Corby, there's another movement, the uh, transhumanist movement. What is it, and how does it connect with deconstructionism? Transhumanist movement, in, in a very general, broad sense, it's, it's hard to really pin down in, in a brief description on what transhumanism is, uh, but it's a movement toward the integration of technology, the integration of uh, artificial intelligence into the human uh, psyche, into the human body, into the human consciousness. And this is really a topic that's near to my heart. I'm working on another project for, for Dr. Lake under, under his direction uh, and under the direction of Dr. Michael Spalding. Uh, that addresses this topic specifically. And we can see in our culture that there is this promotion, this, uh, this perpetuation uh, of what I call the discontent of the self. Mm. We're, being, we're being pushed to be discontent in who we are. Uh, we're being pushed to be discontent in our identity. We're being pushed to be discontent in, in, in who God declares us to be. And therefore, we have to invent a new identity. We have to be, invent a new self. We have to invent a new narrative upon which we are going to build the self 
and that really is leading into the transhumanist movement mm-hmm. and, right. and and looking at looking at us as being uh, interchangeable. If there's something that I don't like about myself, I can remove it and I can replace it with a better, a new, a more advanced part. Yeah, I think the transhumanists, they want to uh, maybe put a chip in our brain and connect us to the cloud somewhere. So, yep. so somebody uh, can have some crazy thoughts and everybody in the world will get that from the cloud. Yep. Yeah, we'll be a bunch You're of right. robots and we know where that's, uh, <laughs> that's going. So that's terrible. Well, Corby Shuey will be back with us on our next broadcast. We will continue talking about his book, For Valor. Be sure to tune in once again. Our toll-free number is 1-800-652-1144. Ask for the book, For Valor. I just want to put an extra plug in for it. It gives you the kind of insight that you need to know what's going on and how to respond intelligently and even more importantly, biblically, to what is happening to us in our world. 1-800-652-1144. Corby Shuey's brand new book, For Valor, is today's featured resource. Order For Valor today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Friends, has the prophecy concerning the millennial kingdom found in Ezekiel chapter 47 been fulfilled? Josh Davis has the answer in today's Moment of Prophecy. On yesterday's broadcast, Clayton Van Huss and I revealed SWRC's new 16-month calendar. The theme for this year's calendar is Unseen Israel. It includes sites that most tourists don't see, either because the site is off the beaten path or it just seems less significant when it's compared to other places on people's must-see list of Israel. So one of the calendar images features a barren mountain landscape at En Gedi. The dusty red hills really remind me of desert mountains that we see in parts of Arizona, perhaps New Mexico, or parts of Utah. En Gedi is located on the western shore of the Dead Sea. Why is this detail important? Currently, the Dead Sea is so salty that no fish can survive in its waters. And while En Gedi is a beautiful oasis in the desert with its refreshing waterfalls and beautiful scenery, it is very far from being considered a lush environment. So you might be thinking, these are interesting facts, but what does this have to do with Bible prophecy? I thought this was supposed to be a moment of prophecy. Well, let's turn back to the Old Testament and see what Ezekiel has to say in Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 7 through 10. Verse 7 says this, Now when I had returned, this is Ezekiel speaking in the first person as he writes, Behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Has this prophecy been fulfilled in Israel's history? In other words, he's describing the banks of the Jordan River, as it's flowing into the Dead Sea. And he says that there are lush trees on both sides of the riverbank. No, that has not been fulfilled in Israel's history up to this point. And some interpreters, therefore, allegorize this passage as a symbolic work that God's going to do in people's hearts instead of a literal transformation of the land. However, this passage is written in a very literal manner as Ezekiel and his angelic guide measure the river 
in verses 1 to 6. I encourage you, read verse 1 to 6 and you will see this for yourself. It's describing the literal future healing of the land during the millennial reign of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, upon this earth. So let's go back into Ezekiel chapter 47 and see what else God promises us. Verse 8 tells us, Then said he unto me, the angel said to Ezekiel, These waters issue out toward the east country, and go down into the desert, and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. So let's pause again to observe that God promises the waters will be healed. The water in the Dead Sea is estimated to be 10 times saltier than the Mediterranean Sea. Imagine that. It's undrinkable. It will not sustain life. Fish cannot live in the Dead Sea at the present moment. It is far too salty. So Ezekiel's prophecy continues in verses 9 and 10. It shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live, whether the river cometh. And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from Engedi even unto Enelgam, and they shall be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds, and the fish of the great sea exceeding many. So the healing of the waters will bring vibrant life back into an arid landscape. And after the horrors of the Great Tribulation, the Messiah's millennial kingdom will reinvigorate the land of Israel completely and totally. The Dead Sea will teem with fish. The rocky hills at En Gedi will be covered with lush vegetation. And can you imagine a host of people standing on the banks of the river catching fish out of the Dead Sea? This passage that we just read promises the Dead Sea will have fish like the Mediterranean Sea, which is referred to as the Great Sea in verse 10, and people will just be pulling fish out of the Dead Sea by the droves. Now, I know some of the folks at our ministry who will be standing in line for the best fishing spot on the banks of the Dead Sea during that millennial kingdom, and you know what? I'd like to join in that fun too, especially when somebody lights the grill and it's time to get out the plates and the forks and the napkins. Yeah, I think I'll be there. So how can we join Jesus in his millennial kingdom? And just as the living water flows from God's throne and it transforms this dead sea, so too Jesus is the living water that we must receive for the transformation of our souls. And I want you to hear the words of the final invitation found in the Bible. It comes from Revelation, the very last chapter, almost the very last verse. Revelation 22:17 says this, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. If you're thirsty, come to Jesus today and be revived. If you have questions about how to do that, please contact us today. Corby Shuey's brand new book, For Valor, is our featured resource today. For Valor, Defending the Faith for Those of Worth, serves as a clarion call for the church to stand in defense of faith. Order For Valor when you call 1-800-652-1144, or you can order at our website 
swrc.com. Tomorrow, Corby Shuey will return with more insight and encouragement on how you and I can defend the faith. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com.